0: Good morning. We're in the middle of a series, Lost in Translation, and we are looking at words that reflect the dark side. Last week we looked at hell, and this week and next week we'll look at Satan. Satan is a Hebrew word, literally means the adversary or the accuser, Satan is the Hebrew word, and the devil is a Greek word. That means divider. And so when we think about Satan, we're thinking about somebody who creates distance between us and God. He divides us from God. We're going to take, again, several weeks to talk about Satan. And what we're going to find is, with respect to him, there are not a lot of clear answers in the Bible regarding what he does and why God allows him to do what he does. Why does God allow an adversary like the devil to exist? We have more questions than answers. There are some things attributed to Satan in the Bible that aren't really about him. For instance, there's a verse from Isaiah that says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. This has been attributed to Satan, but actually it's not talking about spiritual beings at all. It's talking about the king of Babylon. And there's another reference that's attributed to Satan. It says, you were in Eden, the Garden of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. It's been attributed to Satan, but really what it's talking about is the king of Tyre. In the Old Testament of the Bible, Satan functions more like an intelligence agent. When you think about... What a CIA officer or a Homeland security agent is like that 's kind of what Satan functions at in fact I was um, I read an article about an FBI sting where FBI agents trolled the internet trying to get individuals who might have Islamist leanings to to express that, they actually tried to get them to, um, to fall for a, a trip to an Islamic country. And it was really set up by an FBI sting operation. So what it was, it was like this FBI government agent that looked like they were Islamic loyalists, but they weren't Islamic loyalists. What they were trying to do was sniff out Islamic, Islamic loyalists within the United States. That's the kind of sense you get with how Satan seems to function in the book of Job. He is welcomed into God's chambers God points out that Job is a righteous man and then Satan says, well, if you let me add him and if I create discomfort, it will surface the rebellion and insurrection deep within him. These type of agents existed in the Assyrian and Babylonian governments. They would have, again, just like we do in present times, they would have dispatched agents to mix with the people, boy, you don't love the, I don't like the king very much. Do you like the king? I don't like the king either. And then what that agent would do is bring that rebellion to the notice of the king who would end up dealing with it. While there are questions concerning uh, Satan, the Bible does say several things about him fairly clearly. And let's identify three things. Number one, God created It says he is the image of the invisible God. It's talking about Jesus here, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. What it's saying is that God is the initial uncreated one. He wasn't created. Everything that has come to be has been created by him. God is the only one then who was all-knowing and all-seeing and all-present and all-powerful. Everything that he creates then is less than him, and Satan is a created being. So because God creates Satan, the idea that Satan could pose a threat, when you think about it, it doesn 't make much sense a while back, I asked um, a uh, Micah Kittleson to um, do a little slideshow for me, and this is what he came up with i 'm going to show you it's, shows, it' shows represents him as the potter making a clay figure, and then so he forms this clay figure uh, it 's the potter creating a um, a clay figure, and he's accusing the clay figure, You know, which, which seems a little silly because he created it and he's accusing it. And then what ends up happening, the clay figure gets kind of pretty perturbed by this, and he doesn't like the fact of being uh, accused by the potter, and then the potter has to take matters into his own hands, and then so he has to throttle the clay figure, and all this seems really silly. Because you know, here's the deal, uh, oh, and then they're, now they're fighting. You know, so was, they're having a war now. The the potter is having a war with the clay figure. And you look at this, and it's it just doesn't make much sense. The potter at war with the clay? No, of course not. But then you put it this way, God at war with Satan? It really doesn't make much sense, does it? That God would, as the creator, be embroiled in a conflict with one of his creatures. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, God created Satan. What the Bible also says is that God controls Satan's influence. Here's what Jesus had to say to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Uh, in the book of Job, Satan had to ask permission to afflict Job. In the New Testament, the same dynamic exists. Jesus indicates that Satan asked permission to sift Peter's wheat. One of the translations of the Bible indicates that Satan demanded, but that's not the word. The word used is the word for asked. Satan asked Permission to sift Peter as wheat, clearly, the work of Satan is underneath the sovereign purposes of God. Satan is allowed to create problems for Peter because God allows Satan to create those problems. Satan is on then a short a short leash, and if that's so, the idea of Satan being at war with God. Doesn't make much sense. Again, I want you to imagine you are the king or queen of a foreign country. And if I then want to go to war with you, it doesn't make much sense that I would call you and say, hey, you know what, uh, this is King Mike. I'm over at the other kingdom, you know, away from you. And, and, and if you're not doing anything this afternoon, I'd like maybe to start a war with you, if that's okay. Yeah, and if you're not, if it wouldn't be terribly inconvenient, I'd like to dispatch some soldiers, maybe launch a few Grenades and, and and bomb your place if it's if it's not too much to ask you know that's not the way that's not really a war if I have to ask permission, then the, the 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 sense that there's a real controversy that doesn't exist and that's what we find with Satan. Not only did God create Satan, but God controls Satan's influence with respect to what Jesus then comes to do. Um, we find that. God crucified Satan's influence. Look what it says. It's an important verse, it seems. Since the children, you and I, have flesh and blood, he being Jesus, because the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What it describes is that Satan holds the power of death. What does that mean? He uses the power of death to create the fear of death. And the death it talks about is not just fear of dying. None of us looks forward to dying, getting our last breath, having a heart attack, all those things when we think about being at that stage of life, naturally we become fearful. But that's not what it's describing when it talks about the fear of death. The fear of death here is not just the fear about the act of dying. It's facing God after the death. It's be appearing before God. And what Satan does, he creates a sense of terror or resistance to the idea of appearing before God. What that leads to, the verse indicates, is the sense that walking towards the time when not only will I move out of this body, I will move into another body and appear before God. And at that point, what's going to happen? I wonder if he's going to Oh boy, I hope he doesn't bring up that thing that I did. Oh boy, you know if he does that, if he brings up that, then he probably also gonna remember the other thing that I didn't. And so that's the sense of the fear of death. It's not just the fear of dying. It's the it's the the repercussions due to the things that we've done. Satan uses the power of death to create the fear of death. When it says that Jesus destroyed him who holds the power of death, the word destroy there is a particular word. It doesn't, it's not saying that Jesus killed Satan. The word destroy there means when a greater power comes in to replace the power previously in effect. If there were a bully in the workplace, like say if you, if we all represent, a company, and this is like a company meeting, and let's say that I am your supervisor, and, and I am really, really a bad supervisor. I, 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 I ask you to do things that you shouldn't have to do, I don't pay you well enough, I'm abusive, and so the image for destroy is if someone were to come in and replace me, they would take authority over me, the bad boss, and then they would replace me and they would be the good boss. That's the image when it talks about Jesus destroying him who holds the power of death, that's the devil. It's as if the devil then exists to create a terror. And that terror, that fear of appearing before God is something that hangs over our heads all our lives. And then Jesus comes and says, enough of that. That's not the way God is, and you don't need to be afraid of that. I have come, and I, what Jesus would say, he assures you that it's not that way. God is, well, actually, what what did Jesus say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. Satan would have us believe that the reason God interacts with the world is to judge the world. But Jesus comes to say that's not true at all. Jesus didn't send, God didn't send his son to judge the world. He sent his son to save it. Um, What is the power of death? It says biblically the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law creates the fear of death, is having the Ten Commandments held over our heads. Have we committed adultery? Have we stolen? And what God's, What's God gonna do about that on the far side? And, you know, adultery isn't just having the act, it's, it's even thinking about the act. And murdering isn't even about murder, it's about getting angry with someone. And, and coveting is just wanting what somebody else has. Um, he holds it over our head. and Imagine what's going to happen to you. And that's, that's how Satan uses the fear of death. And Jesus, well, God crucified the fear of death. Look what it says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It says God disarmed the powers and authorities. And if you look at the verse, how did he do that? How did he disarm the powers and authorities? What it says, he canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. And so what here's the picture it's creating that that the powers and authorities are using the commandments to create the fear of death. That is the weapon in the hand of the powers and authorities. And what God does when he disarms the powers and authorities, he takes that weapon. You know what the weapon is? It's the Ten Commandments. So I want you to imagine the devil, and he has a pitchfork. And the pitchfork has ten tines, ten sharp points. And the image is that... The devil uses that pitchfork to prod and to condemn. You did this, you did that. And what Jesus then accomplished, he took that pitchfork, the Ten Commandments being used to create fear, he took that out of the hands of the devil and angels and and actually impaled it on the cross. So here's the image. Jesus is on the cross, he's dying, and when the dust clears, he's not on the cross anymore. He's died and risen and is with the Father, but what is left impaled on the cross is the ten-pronged pitchfork. Now, what the devil would have us believe is now God still brandishes that and he still pokes, and that's not, that's not what we find biblically. Uh, when you put your faith in Christ, you are not no longer under the jurisdiction of law. We talked about the fact that in the beginning of June, June 6, we're going to do a baptismal service. And baptism is a really good image for what happens when we put our faith in Christ. When you think of baptism, think of dyeing a garment because that's what baptism is. I want you to imagine that there then is a a vat of dye, let's call it purple dye. And so if I'm going to dye a garment, what I'll do, I have to make the dye, and so the dye is there, it's in the pail, and now like I have maybe a white garment. And so when I take this garment and I put it into the dye, I immerse it into the dye, that is the biblical word for baptism. To baptize means to immerse. And so when I take this white garment and I baptize or immerse it into the pale, the vat of purple dye, what happens to the white garment? It comes out purple. What's true of the dye becomes true of what has been baptized into the dye. Okay, how does this apply? How does this help us to understand baptism? We're baptized into Christ So when we then believe in Christ, it's as if we are identified with him so what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. Let's think of what's true of Jesus. Let's just think about Jesus. He lived a perfect life. Is there anything Jesus could do to be more loved by the Father? Is there any obedience that he left undone, any disobedience, any reason the Father would love him? No, not at all. Jesus is perfectly loved by the Father, and if we, through faith in Christ, are baptized or immersed into Christ, what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. If you've placed your faith in Christ, believe that God sent him, then what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. As God loves the Son, God loves those who are placed in the Son. That's why baptism is such a great image. Is is there anything that Jesus could do to be closer to God the Father, more securely connected? No. If we are identified with Christ, what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. There's nothing we can do to be more connected. This This is what we are to believe, that God sent his Son so that He might create a connection and a security with God the Father that as we believe that God sent His Son to do that, it becomes true of us as well. We become as loved by God as Jesus is. We become as securely connected to God as Jesus is. And that's what, that's why baptism is such a wonderful image of what happens when we put our faith in Christ. And by the way, if we'll do that then on June 6th, and then if you wanna talk about that, and you'd like to talk about what it means, maybe, or, and let me know whether you wanna be back, just come up to me afterwards, or, or give me a call at the church office. Um, re- this is how, then, you resist the adversary, the divider. That's what Satan means, adversary or divider. You don't allow him to speak for God because he doesn't. You don't allow him to separate you from God. When we do wrong things, we're not to add the sin of unbelief to the transgression, the thing that we might have done. So, once you remember, what difference does the cross make? And when we think about um, Satan and using the judgment of the commandments to create the fear of death, which enslaves us. When you do wrong things, here's what I want you to remember. These four things, uh, these be, are because of the new covenant. Here's what God says to us. Here's what God says to us. I'm still in you, and I'm still with you, and you're still ahead of, and good is still ahead of me, Guaranteed. So here's what I would suggest. When you are aware of having done something wrong, remember these things because this is the way you resist the influence of the devil who would lead you to believe, oh boy, you're gonna get it now, but that's not the truth. What Jesus would have you understand is, is this. So you do something wrong, I want you to remember this and think, think of these statements. No, oh God here's I did that thing. But thank you because Jesus inaugurates a new covenant. Thank you that you're still in me. You put your law in my mind and write it on my heart. You're still with me. I'm not disconnected from you. In fact, you love me as much as you love your son. I'm as securely connected to you as Jesus is connected to you because I put my faith in him. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let me pray for us Father, thank you for um, the New covenant. Thank you for clarifying your message to us. You sent your son into the world not to judge it, but to save it to save us from the, the fear of death and punishment by introducing us into uh, faith in, in your son and that he comes and lives a perfect life, he dies is buried and is raised again, and through faith in him, his work, his finished work, becomes attributed to us. and We can have a secure, loving relationship with you through faith in your son. Thanks so much for this, in Jesus' name. Amen.